hello and welcome to another episode of the Diaspora Collective podcast. Uh, here at Diaspora HQ, we dissect and explore contemporary events in news and pop culture and how they pertain to Black communities' experience of race. We also link these concepts to Pathways to Action in our follow-up resource roadmap. My name is Dominique, and today I am joined by... Abba. Lali. And Mel. And we also have a very special guest. So they are a legal observer for an independent organisation. Habiba, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So, yeah, I think basically we just want to use this time to unpack and vent um, (laughs) about the really, really (laughs) triggering, exhausting, um, nightmarish events uh, that have kind of taken place this week and last week. So we'll be speaking about protests, policing and gendered sexual violence, uh, just as a content warning for this episode as well. Um, yeah, but before we get into everything, like how how is everyone doing? Mm, interesting question. Really. <laughs> it's a couple of weeks, like you said. <laughs> I think it's been very triggering for like women, especially about all the news that has come out. Um, so I don't know about you guys, I've been feeling a certain type of way. So, um, yeah, it's a bit of a dump, dumping on this week in terms of how everyone's feeling. Yeah, very much that meme that was like, last week was like International Women's Day, misogyny, 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 Mother's Day, misogyny, like very <laughs> It was just a very, very intense week to be a woman, I think, or anyone who identifies as a woman. Um, in this country yeah I think even in America as well like the way that they're dealing with things that have like gendered sexual violence that have happened there and like all the narratives that just like keep on like coming up I'm kind of more viscerally aware about how those narratives pop up white supremacy and patriarchy and it's like not not the vibe to be in right now um so yeah, I think it's just like you said, been super tough. Um, yeah, it's kind of, um, I guess, physically and mentally exhausting. So um, mm-hmm. I don't. I think people are always quite surprised when I say this, but I actually don't enjoy protests. I don't mm-hmm. like them. I find them really stressful. Your feet hurt. You're physically aching. You're yeah. out in the cold. Um, they're just not nice. And especially if you're doing kind of two or three in, in a week, like kind of the things we saw over summer, it just really takes it out with you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, exhausted as well. I always find it really difficult to like approach protests because I'm like, I can either preserve myself and rest and then I end up being complicit um, in not taking any action or I go and then I'm exhausted and like mentally drained, emotionally drained, physically drained. Mm -hmm. So like, why are those my only two? So I would argue actually because you're black, that's why I think that there is the opportunity to have that rest. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously it's a different case now because they're talking about women in general, but kind of over the summer when the issue was black lives and black people being killed, well, why should black people be at the protests? Mm -hmm. For me, it's up to Mm non-black people to be there. And if there are black people there to provide a physical barrier from the police, I feel like that's our role. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's part of Uh, why it was important for me to get involved over the summer Mm -hmm. was because I can go home at the end of the day and go to sleep and know it doesn't affect me Mm -hmm. but not everyone can do that so I think it's particularly important for non-black people to be at protests Mm -hmm. Um, similarly you could say it's important for men to be at the protests that we've had Mm -hmm. over the last week you know Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone should feel guilty about not being at a protest about something that affects them I think like the the journey that I felt like as a woman and then like as a black woman on top of that over the week it's just been like I think when the obviously all of this is was mainly triggered by the context of Sarah Everard's murder and I think like in in the lead up to her going missing you kind of have a lot of anxiety around that situation you kind of hope it's not because of the reasons that you would assume that a woman has gone missing right Mm -hmm. that she's been kidnapped or she's been abducted or she's been murdered kind of thing Um, And I think the reaction from other women was quite interesting because you had a lot of women go straight into like blame mode, which I think actually a lot of women do out of defence, right? Because for you to have to confront that actually, 
she did everything to protect herself and she still faced harm is actually a really terrifying reality for you as a woman because it takes all of the control out of the situation Mm -hmm. so I think there was a lot of conflict in terms of how like women um reacted to the news of her being missing first and then to find out that like the perpetrator and the like um the like assumed kidnapper or murderer was within the police that was just like another dynamic that I think completely threw everything I mean I don't know how you guys like relate to the police uh but as like a black woman <laughs> I don't have, I mean I don't really she have a lot of good things to say <laughs> like, I really don't so then I was just like well right great like not great obviously but I was just like it's just it's it's a lot and then to mm-hmm. find out that, like, the, the stuff about the precursor behaviours of, like, sexual mm-hmm. assault prior to that and stuff, I was just like, I can't, <laughs> I can't, like, put this all into one event. It's just a crazy mm-hmm. amount of stuff to happen kind of thing. And I think it really exposed how, like, many different layers of our society are, are in conflict at the moment mm-hmm. between things that are supposed to protect us, things that are supposed to be, like, understanding of like our identities our rights kind of thing so I think a lot of stuff is in flux at the moment um Mm -hmm. yeah and I think what Dom said then going to protest with all of that Mm -hmm. kind of emotion is like yeah you you don't really know like how to feel when you're actually there Mm because I was just like what am I what am I actively here for like am I here as a black woman am I here as a woman Mm. am I here Mm. because I against police brutality am I here against gender-based violence like there's just a lot (laughs) I think all all of them as well like going to the protest as a black woman as someone who or as an individual who is like historically like x percentage more likely to be um arrested to to be stopped by the police to also perhaps not even survive police custody that's all stuff that I feel like weighed so heavily on us before we went to go and protest and I was like I'm scared to go but Mm. I'm also fearful and knowledge like I know that I can't not go I yeah it was really hard because I remember just being like really scared and I told my mom I was like I'm going to protest she was like can you just <laughs> be safe like do all the things like write this stuff on your arms and I think yeah. there's I mean Habiba you can um tell us about more of the I guess legal side and also the things that we should be doing if we do go to protest because I feel like what I've seen before and especially at BLM was like people think it's a game and like they bring pints and like tinnies and they think it's like a day festival. I'm like, no, like this is serious. Do you remember the girl in the mosquito jeans? I remember. (laughs) I've seen people having their photos taken for Instagram. Mm. And yeah, I think that's, I think that's something that's really interesting that since um, George Floyd's murder, um, I definitely noticed an uptick in white people at protests and non-black mm-hmm. people to the point like I never thought I'd see anything like that mm-hmm. you, we saw the scale right. of the protests over the summer I never thought till the day I died I would ever see that many white people at a protest for black lives mm-hmm. and it's something that we've um, I mean there's the United Friends and Family campaign um, kind of yeah. vigil slash protest that goes on every year in October and I see a couple of white faces there every year mm-hmm. um and then there was this kind of explosion over summer that really quickly died down. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. Even us and our stats, like our first episode has, and that was on police brutality, it was like our direct reaction f- about George Floyd, like seeing how many listens that has compared to like, mm-hmm. you know, the ongoing listeners that come back and listen every week. Like mm-hmm. people wanted to know about what was going on, but they don't understand that what happened happened in a wider arc of like racism, like, yeah, exactly. um, like patriarchy, white supremacy. So the police are just one part of the system. Like, so I really, mm-hmm. you, you've mm-hmm. got to address the whole thing. Um, but yeah, like the feelings prior to protest, I think like you like Dom and I were having a bit of a breakdown every single time I go I do just kind of have a bit of a breakdown because 
you just know that anything that could happen is more likely to happen to you right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. any any mm-hmm. like facing of violence any like chance of arrest any chance of overuse of force or anything like that is more likely to happen to you like we didn't even walk past the police we were literally mapping out we were like how can we get in without walking past the police kind of thing and it's just it's and the conversation we had on the way there is it's really difficult I'm sure a lot of black people a lot of black women a lot of like people feel really guilty because about not going but I think it's valid to not go especially as a black person because you are putting your life at risk a lot of the time and it is a choice of like I know this is more likely to happen to me but I also know I'm more likely to die (laughs) if I go kind of thing and how do I make that decision and how do I weigh up those choices and I don't Mm -hmm. think either one of them is right and it's wrong sorry Man, Abba, like, how do you feel like your feelings change towards the situation, like, initially versus, like, how you feel about it now? Because I must admit, like, bef- like when it, everything first happened, I was really angry and I was really salty. I was like, where was the vigil for blessing? Like, where was the vigil mm. for a uh, belly? Where was yeah. the vigil for... Um, Sarah Reed, like all of these black women that have also faced violence and death but at the hands of yeah. the police in some way or another. And then I was like thinking about how, like what does the oppression Olympics really do in this situation? Like the more time we spend thinking about how one person is more oppressed than the other, or one group is more oppressed than the other, we're not thinking about how to like deplatform the oppressors. So like, yeah, just keen to kind of yeah. get your thoughts on it. Cause. Yeah, I think it is when the news of like Sarah came out, it was, I don't, I don't know. I just, it's really hard to explain because it's not like you knew the person, but like even everything that happened with um, B11, obviously with George Floyd and all the people that, you know, had suffered at the hands of police brutality. So like, so many people from the community you can tell it personally hit them even if it wasn't directly hitting them and I think that's what makes it so much harder because this news about Sarah is like so heartbreaking and I and then my mindset was like what about blessing what about all these women who have also gone through this and haven't been able to have the same media coverage who haven't had the same um kind of investigations being put through Mm. you know there's it hasn't been trending in that sense and it's not to say that that should have had more energy than Sarah, like everything that happened. It should, it should be the same across the board. Like, firstly, it shouldn't even be happening first up. Yeah. But you just think to yourself, like, why there's more information on the one victim than like all of this is happening. And like you guys said, it's when everything happened with George Floyd, you see like a massive uproar, but then it's like the information about all the other things in racism that happens in different aspects of this world, that same energy isn't being reciprocated to. Um, I think like Del was saying earlier when the whole news of Sarah happened and there was that hope that it wasn't because of X, Y and Z even me, my first thought was like oh my gosh, like why was she out by herself and I felt awful because I was like as a woman I've been inclined to think that I shouldn't be putting myself in those situations that um, I'd also read, I think it was on Twitter where someone had said, imagine being in Sarah's position and seeing a man and maybe knowing that he was a police officer and thinking, oh my gosh, thank God, because this is someone who's supposed to protect me. And <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, that's just not, I don't know about you girls, but that's not how I would feel. Yeah, no, yeah. I, that is, yeah. exactly, exactly. That's my point. Like yeah. a lot of people wouldn't feel like that, but in some cases, her in some cases, as a white um, woman, she probably would feel like being yeah. like, I get what you mean, Abba, from that angle yeah. a little bit. And in a way, you should feel like you should feel the sense of the people who are supposed to protect you are the ones who are supposed to protect you. You wouldn't look at them. Like sometimes I could look at someone who's like a security guard and think, okay, your job here is to protect me if something goes wrong. But the idea that in that moment, that person who is supposed to be protecting someone is the actual perpetrator, is actually so scary. And then, you know, from your day to day, you start to think like, is someone looking at me slightly differently? Or what's their actual, what are they actually thinking? Are they actually thinking as well as like, I remember um, with my job, obviously we do a lot of um, out of hours work because we have to work on call and stuff. And you're in an environment where you're by yourself. And um, Mm. I was talking about this with one of my colleagues and, I said to her, I was like, how crazy is it as a woman that I think to myself that in this place, anyone can come and do anything and I wow. can't do anything to protect myself because there's physically no one else there but me. Um, 
and even sometimes like even security being there after everything that happened I said how do I know that mm. this security is the one who has the power to protect mm. me but also mm. has the power to do something else and it's not to say that they have or that they will but like that is the type of things that are probably running through a lot of women's minds mm-hmm. especially now oh yeah one thing yeah. I did want to say is in terms of like the protesting um, I really agree with that, what you guys were saying in terms of you have to think about these things and it's so sad that you do um and I can't lie it's actually really like it got a lump in my throat like you two talking about the fears mm-hmm. that um you guys were going through because it's like you shouldn't have to feel like that to have to protest such a awful thing that's happening and it's the case of like Del was saying are you protesting because it's a woman because of gender-based violence um because of uh, being a black woman like it shouldn't it's crazy to think that there's so many different aspects that you're mm. basically protesting for. I have actually a question <laughs> for you girls. What do you think, like, how do you think, um, I'm going to name them, I hope you don't mind, reclaim these streets, I think they were called. So mm-hmm. this group of white women, how do you think they view this murder? Do they view it as police violence or, you know, kind of femicide? And what, what's the kind of focal point for them, do you think? Because I think we can talk, we can go into this later, but they were quite um, kind of confused on their message about mm. whether mm. they were anti-police, what their calls were from the organization, why they were protesting. So do you think that they are angry because a woman was murdered or do you think they see it as police violence and that they recognize this as a wider problem that police are killing marginalized people? I kind of think they view it more as femicide rather than police violence, to be honest, just because if they're coming from the angle, obviously I can't speak on behalf of a white woman, but I imagine the police maybe not being viewed as dangerous compared to what they would be viewed as like from the perspective of a black woman. But yeah, I just genuinely do think it's femicide rather than against the police. Even the way they branded it as like a vigil, not a protest, things like that, I just thought was very like safe wording. They didn't want to anger anybody. Yeah, very so, yeah, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. Really. Yeah. Yeah. And even the way they emphasised what um, there was a real emphasis of what she was wearing and the fact she was had um, trainers on, had was it a high biz jacket and things like that. I feel yeah. like that is another yeah. reflection of that. It was like it's not against the police; it's against men in general. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like that messaging so harmful because it just teaches. Obviously, you have to be safe, and everyone should take safety precautions when they go out outside outside alone however I feel like it just puts the emphasis on women being mm. responsible mm-hmm. and how we have to police our own safety and also from a wider sense of that like police our own sexuality mm-hmm. so if we're not wearing this dress then maybe we're less likely to be raped or less likely to be killed mm-hmm. and I just feel like it just makes every woman I feel like no matter your race like exhausted mm-hmm. We shouldn't really be, have to be mm-hmm. thinking like that at all. And I just feel like the emphasis really has to change on women and what they have to do as precautions and more it should be emphasis on how men should behave. Mm-hmm. But I really, I think reclaiming the streets was a good thing, but they didn't really put that forward, I don't yeah. think, efficiently or yeah. properly in their messaging. I think also just going back to your point about separating like protesters from like people who wanted or women who wanted to attend a vigil I think that in itself is like kind of problematic language because yeah why shouldn't why shouldn't you want to protest why shouldn't you want to get angry about this like gender-based violence that's happening in a supposedly democratic com- yeah. uh, country and then our police our police within their right to act like that then because it's a protest but if you say oh it's a vigil it's not a protest then that's kind of to me perpetuating the narrative that protests are it's it's right for protests to be policed by like that mm. and, it, and it's not yeah exactly I, I think like one even the way they handled it of asking the police for permission protests in itself <laughs> is supposed to be a disruptive yeah, act exactly or or collective action is supposed to be a disruptive act it's not supposed to be in a way that is like digestible for the police because in Mm -hmm. some form a vigil is still holding the perpetrator accountable it's raising awareness of the transgression of the act I don't think that you it was it was right for them to request for the police to allow it to happen especially when the perpetrator was a police officer Mm -hmm. like that just to me I just was like that's just how you know that their understanding of the nature of the crime and the context this occurs in is just not 
like it's not switched on like I think because even if they didn't really know that um like the guy was a police officer beforehand I don't think you can take away gender-based violence like out of the context of state violence because the police protect gender-based violence so massively Mm -hmm. and they perpetrate it a lot like even in the amount of cases of domestic violence and rape cases that aren't solved properly even in like the cuts in the government of domestic abuse services and the refunding of that money back into the police like we're we're operating in a context of covid where you and women have said like the amount of gender-based violence and domestic violence has literally skyrocketed Mm -hmm. since we've gone into covid restrictions so i don't really see how you can that you can see the two as like not mutually exclusive we all know that especially within the police force itself they are massive perpetrators of gender-based violence of sexual assault of abusing women both in and out of police custody and in their private homes Mm. so for me then to want to even if you're just wanting to hold a vigil against gender-based violence to then want to do that in collaboration with an institution which is known Mm -hmm. to abuse women just doesn't make sense to me at all and to Habiba's question then meeting with the police after the violence that the police demonstrated at the vigil just I can't even wrap my head around that. I can't wrap my head around the fact that you would literally see police abusing women for something that is peaceful in your mind. And you think that the best thing to do is then to go meet with them. And Dom and I had a big question about, you know, grassroots activism that's been around for a really long time, that's worked in community, that's understood these things, organisations like Sisters Uncut, to then have an organisation of women who have come up and not really understood the context of the long movement within this to meet with the police. It lets you know what their priorities are. And I don't think their priorities are to hold the institution accountable. No, I don't know like, what their outcome been? is, but it's not that. Yeah, like yeah. Where, where have they been? I mean, we've been saying the police are violent, the police are killing black people mm-hmm. for how many years? You know, the police have been killing black people and it's kind of like now it, it there's a potential that it would affect them in this one isolated case. Um, I mean, I think what's quite interesting how how they've kind of framed this is to me, um, Sarah Everard's murder is kind of everyone's worst nightmare, right? Like it's the, mm-hmm. it's the creepy guy that comes from behind the bushes and he's following you home and it's a complete stranger to you and he, he jumps out, kidnaps you, kills you, whatever. But 75% of uh, rape cases, the, the victim actually knows the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. So I think it's interesting how how they've kind of chosen not to specify what exactly they are protesting against is it police violence is it kind of gendered violence and femicide um so there's just that kind of vagueness in their message for me um and yeah like you said delilah meeting up with the police requesting the permission of the police it's just do they understand what the police are i mean i think ultimately the police aren't here to protect people they're here to protect capital you know we live in a mm-hmm. capitalist society mm-hmm. the police that their, their job is to protect the status quo and capital mm-hmm. not us um and i it kind of really surprised me to see the demographic at this protest when i went very much um i mean you can imagine the kind of white people that live in clapham right like the kind of white girls that live in clapham mm-hmm. yeah um, that all over um and they it was quite clear that it was so many of them it was their first protest so yeah. tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us the tea. Tell us. I think if you're kind of ready for me to go in, I can go, yeah. kind of go in how how we got involved yeah. from the start. And um, I just so, yeah, go on. I go just on, want to emphasize the point that uh, Habiba made about the like why the police exist and it's for capital, not for protection. I think people often forget that mm-hmm. the historical context of the police was that they were created to protect state property and to protect state authority. And yes, we might have progressed in some ways that now within policing, there's more community initiatives and things like that. But in any situation where it's public interest versus state interest, the police will always protect state interest. And I think the way they handled the vigil was like a perfect example of that. The vigil was in public interest for people to have a space to 
collect and to mourn and to bring awareness of this but it wasn't in state interest because it was something that was forcing the state to hold itself accountable mm. so what did they do they deployed the police to create a violent situation so I think we, you just need to remind yourself I'm not saying that every police officer is like rotten but the institution itself was not created it's not a protection mechanism it's an enforcement mechanism and if the choice is to to harm you to enforce a law or to protect the state they will do that and that's why I think when when Habiba talks about protesting it's so important because that's literally the only thing we really have left to hold mm -hmm. them accountable because yeah. public opinion doesn't hold them accountable they're not beholden to us they're beholden to the state <laughs> and that's yeah. all I have to say on that <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. So Habiba, I feel like Oh probably... people are gonna come for me. People are gonna no, come for me. No, I feel like No, you articulated it so well. Facts, babe. Yeah. Facts. Yeah, do you wanna tell us about obviously you were your organization was at the vigil yeah. and I feel like with the backdrop of you know protests and everything that's gone on over the course of the past year, could you give us some insight into kind of what you were saying I think like you said it seemed like there was some sort of um not juvenileness but like naivety I feel like it's yeah. probably the right word about how to protest how to go about doing that and then also how to organize yeah. a protest as well yeah so shall we start by just like could you just tell us give us like an overview of what legal observers do and what they are because I don't feel like a lot of people like I hadn't heard of legal observing until this year mm. um and then also just yeah and like the treatment of the police and like historically the treatment that you've seen or actions of the police that you've seen at, at protests yeah sure so I can start um just giving a kind of a bit of an overview of what legal observers do so um I like to say everyone kind of views it differently I like to say for me it's policing the police um so I think that the police are there they obviously are trained in some capacity of what to do, what they think they're allowed to do, um, whether that's kind of legal is a, is a different story, but mm -hmm. by and large protesters don't know these things. Um, so for me, it's just to protect um, the fundamental human right to protest and to kind of ensure that the police are acting in a lawful manner because we often know they don't. Um, so we say as well, we are, we're independent, but we're not impartial. So we're not there as protesters. We're not there as part of the protest. Um, so, for example, I wouldn't be engaging in chants or taking signs with me or anything, um, but we're allowed to kind of have our own views and opinions on what should be going on at these protests. Um, so we're all legally trained. Um, and I guess a typical kind of protest for me would be I would go, we wear orange um, high-vis jackets, they say legal observer on them. There's quite a number of us kind of at protests. So it's, it's nice if you kind of feel unsafe to look out for um, any legal observers. Mm -hmm. um, so it's my job to kind of make notes. So um, every few minutes or so I have a notepad and I'll just note down what's been happening at the protests. Um, so then you essentially have, say if there's five of us, you have five records of what's going on at that protest that can then be corroborated. So if the police, um, are kind of giving any inaccurate um, depictions of what happened at the protest, you have those records of what's happened. Um, we also do find that um, sometimes the police will be more likely to kind of um, watch themselves if there are illegal observers around, because I think they very much take advantage of the fact that people don't know their rights. People don't know what the police are allowed to do to them. Most people, if the police ask you for something, you, you just, you're scared and you'll give it. Um, but it's not actually legally the case that you have to necessarily do that. Um, so in terms of like our organization, we started around the summer. So um, we had a few of those kind of Black Lives Matter protests coming up. Um, and there are lots of different kind of networks and organizations of legal observers, um, but there are also some that act specifically in the interest of um, kind of racial protest, protests against racism, black people protesting. Um, so for me personally, that's what I like to um, focus my job on. Um, like I said, it's important for me as a kind of a, as a non-black person um, to protect the rights of black people if they choose to go to a protest. Um, so we've actually noticed as well that our we have kind of legal observers of, of different um, 
backgrounds and we've noticed that our um, black, brown and racialized group legal observers are disproportionately tackled by the police. Initially, when this um, Reclaim These Streets protest slash vigil was announced, um, <laughs> I had decided not to go. So I don't know how everyone else felt when they kind of saw these things pop up on social media, but my immediate thought was like white woman shit. I saw it and I was like, this is white woman shit. I, I don't really see a need to be involved in this. I don't feel the kinship. And it's probably similar for you girls as well, right? With this whole quote unquote woman of color, this kinship that white women feel with me, I do not feel with them. The same as maybe the kinship that a kind of a, a, a non-black woman of color would use oh we're all women of color we're all women of color and to you that's kind of like no I, like I'm black do you know what I mean so the way that white white women maybe feel this sisterhood and this kinship with all women I do not feel that with them um I think that white women can actually be more violent than white men mm -hmm. I think there's um there's an, a, a manipulative quality to um their racism mm -hmm. which can actually be quite dangerous in my opinion so that was kind of my initial decision not to go and support Reclaim These Streets. I thought there are other legal observers who will go and protect them if they need to, not that they need much protecting because they have this kind of innocence of, of white women that, you know, wouldn't butter, butter wouldn't melt and they would, normally wouldn't be arrested. Um, so then um, Sisters Uncut, so mm -hmm. that's a, a black organization. They actually um, said that they wanted to go to this protest so reclaim these streets then as we said asked for police permission and took it to the high court to protest um the high court then said no reclaim these streets then said oh actually no that's fine we won't go don't worry um so they pulled out of the protest so sisters uncut their response was well we're used to being repressed this is welcome to protesting welcome to opposing the state so we're going to go anyway we don't need permission to protest from the high court so then to me, that was a situation where Reclaim These Streets, these white women had called this protest, encouraged people to go, black women had said they were gonna attend and then they pulled out because they were scared. Mm -hmm. And then who does that leave to be arrested? Black women. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of the basis of my decision to go and attend as a legal observer. Um, so when I went, it was huge it was really busy um vast majority were white women um there were also sisters uncut there and some black women um we actually had um some arrests and i think part of what kind of went viral was that photo of the i don't know if you girls saw but the photo of the police kind of shoving the white women you know manhandling the white mm. woman when they were arresting her which kind of caused uproar which mm. how many how many times have i seen them do that to black men yeah, <laughs> how many times yeah, i can't even like, oh my god there's the literally a hundred photos Guys, like that yeah. you know? not even you know not even just as a capacity in my capacity as a legal observer or a steward or a protester day-to-day -day life Hordich, go, yeah. going out and eat how many times have we seen them do that to black men mm -hmm. and so because this photo kind of involves this white woman uh, you know it kind of gets all this this media traction um so something that was I, I kind of talked to Dominique about which was kind of funny but I think it really paints the kind of attitude of a lot of the white women there so like I said I um as legal observers we make notes in a notepad so the police were kind of getting a bit aggressive and they were pushing um a man and I was making a note of it and this white woman comes over to me and she, she sounds like me. she goes oh my god that's amazing you like journaling I was just like oh. <laughs> what <laughs> I was like you've like you've obviously never been to a why would I be journaling you've never been to a protest before um and they were kind of lots lots of like white women being shocked and outraged at the police of oh my god what are you doing I'm just here at a fit like just com just completely in awe that the police could act like this towards them mm -hmm. and then others kind of um, with this passive, oh, don't worry, we're not here to cause trouble. We're just going to go mm. home. We just wanted to drop our flowers and we're not like the other protesters yeah, yeah, and yeah. we're just going to... Mm. Lines were drawn. And I did have a thought of why am I here? Because I was thinking about the work that I was doing that night and there was one, it was like a, car a bit of a Karen moment of this white woman like shouting at a police officer and he wasn't doing anything to her. He was, do you know what I mean? And she, she was just being really mm. like, 
I want to speak to the manager type energy and I did have that thought of why am I here why am I protecting you because you wouldn't protect me Mm. um and then I was standing in the crowd and I heard people were chanting and I heard say her name Sarah Everard and that's when I just kind of was like I need a minute I need a minute because what what is say her name why did we start that well we started that because no one talks about the black people who are murdered by Mm. the police the black women specifically who Mm. are murdered by the police so why are we doing say her name Sarah Everard like what literally have like chills we say her name we say her name Mm -hmm. and it was just that where have you been where were you all summer when we were saying that black people are being killed by the police not just in america but black people are disproportionately dying under police custody in the uk and we have many examples of that and there's there's a history of that as well with the kind of 2011 london quote-unquote riots Mm -hmm. protests um and just it's just shocking to me that they live in this kind of isolated bubble in Clapham where none of that will ever affect them or kind of come into their sphere. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my experience of that protest. I would also like to add that um, after um, after that protest, during like other protests since then, we've actually um, had some legal observers be arrested. Um, so under COVID regulations, some were given a fine and some also were arrested into like into the cell Mm -hmm. which is just crazy um because it's kind of not only do we have the legal right to protest um legal observers are specifically protected under that that especially under the covid regulations where you're allowed to gather Mm -hmm. outside to kind of um as part of a charitable or voluntary organization um and there's been kind of specific un guidelines that Mm -hmm. legal observers should Mm -hmm. not be prosecuted um, so that was kind of a bit of a turning point for me. Um, I think as as a legal observer or protester or kind of an activist or, or a steward, you have a conversation at one point with yourself in your life where you're like, how, what am I willing to give for this? Mm-hmm. Will I lose my job? Am I going to be arrested? Am I going to lose my house? Would I die for this? And you kind of have that conversation with yourself, how, how much do I care and what am I willing to give up? Um, I just never thought that it would like be soon this stage of my life that yeah. I'd be looking at like arrests like now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I, thought, yeah, I thought that maybe I'd have, bought, I'd have bought a house to come back to or I'd have a bit more security. And it's, and, yeah. but it was just that kind of like in my face of, okay, th- this is now. And, and this mm. is something that you have to um, like stand your ground with and prepare that that's gonna happen, um, which is scary. And we've kind of also seen um, a number of activist groups have been specifically targeted by the police kind of coming up to them at protests, knowing them by name. Um, I think they're trying to kind of collect mm. intel on, on activist groups. Yeah. Um, I've also heard of kind of um, hacking hacking WhatsApp groups and things like that. So yeah, it's the scary. FBI agent in your phone is <laughs> Literally the FBI agent in my it's phone. It's really scary. Yeah, yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. I know they do, uh, they do like arrest activists, not, sometimes not to prosecute them, but to to collect biometrics so they yeah. won't charge you but they just will arrest you so they can collect yeah. <laughs> your data and they and have facial so recognition bands at these protests i've seen facial recognition bands it's no. really terrifying and it's like what am i doing why am i a danger yeah, <laughs> to yeah, the state yeah. i'm you journaling. know <laughs> like honestly <laughs> i'm just here journaling what's the problem <laughs> but i mean we all owe you so much because mm. Like, I, I dread to think what would have happened if they weren't legal observers there. It's such yeah. a threat to remove yourself from, like, responsibility for a protest. And you know that you're going to put people at risk. Like, you guys protect so many of us because you're right. That story. Oh, my God. I cannot believe that all the stories. The yeah. journaling one. I'm still <laughs> in shock. It's very, I'm like, like you, I don't even know how you don't respond back to that. Like, can I, can you just I, didn't, I was just like, what? And then I <laughs> ran and I told everyone and I was like, you will not believe what this girl just said to me. <laughs> That was a pure Gwyneth Paltrow fan that came to that yeah. protest, literally. I'm just earthing my journal. The vibes of all of them. They were very like Lottie, Toffee, Tilly. Okay, Do you know yeah. what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah. I see. 
Oh, oh God. I was made in Chelsea girls now, I realised. Like, what's the name? Like, the type of the, of the white, and, and we have to remember as well, Clapham's gentrified, yeah, right? So course. it's funny mm. that, we think that when we think of Clapham, I pass that's for me, that's synonymous of, I mean, I have a friend who is like racially abused on Clapham Common. So I, I like to not go to Clapham or Clapham Common in general. <laughs> so it's somewhere I avoid. Yeah. Um, just when are people going to clock on? Because if the police don't want you to have your rights whilst you're there, is that not enough evidence that like we live in like an authoritarian a state and they state. don't care about you? And this whole bill. And I'm like, it's to me, it's type. I've been terrified. I haven't been sleeping. and I've been terrified because I'm like, am I going to go to jail soon? Is that going to happen? And I'm hearing that like under this new bill, they can give people like 10 years for like being la- noisy. At a it's annoying. And causing, yeah, annoyance. Literally causing annoyance. And I'm like, I do that all the frigging <laughs> <laughs> That's my whole brand. My whole brand. Yeah. Am I going to go to jail? And it's, so. it's terrifying. And like, I, yeah, I just, I, I it's always it's the kind of thing that you don't think is going to happen to you. And I'd, yeah, I, like, yeah. I've kind of decided with myself, there's, there's nothing that I won't do for this mm. Um, mm. because I hate my job anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, the truth All our jobs out. are because we have to participate in capitalism. capitalism. Okay. Probably a good way to kind of segue is like you know you spoke about the girl that's what you were journaling mm-hmm. like the reason why that I don't think would come to mind if we went to a protest and saw a legal observer making notes mm-hmm. is because historically like black women have had to um they've been better at community organizing because we've had to do it like we've mm-hmm. had to protest mm-hmm. against um you know like uh injustice when it comes to civil the civil rights movement um like historically have been the pillar of the community when it comes to organizing movements like this so I think it doesn't make sense to me like it doesn't make sense to me why like reclaim the streets would go to the police and ask for a meeting anyway but why were groups who were more established Mm -hmm. experienced in organizing protests and dealing with law enforcement and the government Mm -hmm. why were they not involved in that conversation Mm -hmm. this is why i was saying like the lines have been drawn because this movement is very clearly only for one group of people it's not for us and that does not include us so it's really hard to be an ally in this space right now when i feel personally and it's my opinion that the energy might not be reciprocated if it was mm-hmm. and that's a really difficult place to put yourself in I think and that we put ourselves in as black women like you said like Habiba um with the solidarity and this like oh well we'll all come together as women mm-hmm. and I was feeling that but then I was also like but hang on like I also do need to lean into the intersections of my identity and mm-hmm. how that would change my experience of a specific situation I can't ignore that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so yeah I feel like it's just difficult to put two and two together when it comes to stuff like this because why why would you not want help from people who are more experienced in in this situation why would you not want to also use your position as a potential ally they've acted out this really specific brand of white women that is I think they've they've acted out just perfectly to me um and I think it's this kind of historical both aggression of of white women women on black women and also this weaponization of their of their kind of innocence and fragility. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we see this a lot with kind of uh, the way that white women treat black women in the workplace. Um, And this kind of, oh, you're being aggressive, you're attacking me, and they start crying. Um, And we kind of saw those interactions between um, some kind of black activists and and this particular group as well. So um, we kind of had that one one of the, um, the girls who who was um at the head of reclaim the streets i don't know what to call her it's not an activist um she did an interview and (laughs) they even are they even a formed organization now like people were donating money to them and they were like we'll get to the the money we'll get to the money (laughs) 
it's it's a great question are they not based on a different organization yes so it goes back to the the 70s so it was uh, was the jack the ripper yeah 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 yeah, um the the femicides in leeds yeah um in the midlands and it was reclaim the night so basically the police had told women i think they'd responded with a fact check me on this with a curfew curfew. we'll link the netflix documentary yeah i haven't seen it so yeah it was kind of it was the, the kind of rebranding of reclaim the night if you will so one of them anyway she did it in an interview um like a press interview and they said um was considering the police's actions over the weekend do you call for Cressida Dick who is the Met Police Commissioner to resign and that's someone who I've um I've legal observed at many protests calling for her resignation mm. and the white woman said no she's at, at the end of the day she's the woman and she's in power so Shock. why would we want her to resign so it's this kind of girl boss feminism oh my god it's so cute that she's killing us because she's a woman do you know what I mean not wanting to disrupt the status quo and when <laughs> I want her to excel I want her to excel in murdering us because then at least you know she is us. achieving yes queen yeah with the, the white the white hand with the painted nails emoji <laughs> Girlfriends oh, on fleek. Guys, this is like literally, you know, when therapists are like, you're not meant to make like your humor is your humor is like a This is what we do every week. This podcast every is just week. us laughing through traumatic <laughs> events. But like I just want to say what we're saying is that this like it's not impossible for this movement to not be a solidarity movement Mm -hmm. there was a there was a big opportunity Mm -hmm. for that to happen and what should have happened was when the women who set up reclaim the streets decided to do that there has to be some recognition in your privilege as a white woman Mm -hmm. in terms of the amount of action you're you're able to make happen Mm -hmm. a part of me when it first started happening I was like I'm glad white women are getting involved because society will mobilize to protect them so quickly. And maybe people will now understand what we're saying about these institutions. They should have recognized that as white women, people are gonna want us to protect us quicker. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna coalition with the black women, the trans women whose voices have been oppressed and we're gonna use our privilege to also amplify their voices as we do ours. They should have met with them and said, what action have you been calling for for years? Mm. We're more likely to get pressed interviews we're more likely to get platforms so we will also advocate for those us when we get the meetings when we get the press there was none of that and that's what we experience though like that requires experience (laughs) and also that's what we're saying about like their priorities Mm. they're happy for that institution to exist as long as it protects them Mm -hmm. like Mm. forget everybody else do you know what i mean so what you're is what you're asking for just for you to be safe and the rest of us to continue being hurt as long as you guys are okay it might work for you for like Christina Dick not to resign it doesn't work for black women it doesn't work for trans women it doesn't work for other minoritized women it Mm. doesn't um so yeah I think the opportunity for solidarity was lost they had a big chance to like weaponize their privilege on the behalf of other women and for me that's what's kind of made me check out of the movement is because you're you don't care about all women essentially you really care about yourselves which is sad because I care about the fact that Sarah Everard was murdered Mm, and I care about all women being murdered at Mm. the hands of the state not just black women but how am I supposed to create space in this movement if you're not going to create space for me Mm. I, I can't enter that space then so I think that's pretty much where we're all at in this conversation it's not that we don't agree with the end goal we don't agree with only some goals for some women now being what is now going to become priority for the state because that is what's going to happen so I think that's what makes it so hard because there's almost the idea of like it's not trying to say that there's a um a white women savior like savior complex because it's like oh they have the um ability to make these changes but i think it's that whole essence of like working smart as well because these are the opportunities where you can really make a difference and like del was saying talking to people who are experiencing these cases is is in a way can amplify what the whole essence of what you were doing and is this not telling of what a lot of people always have to do, especially one group of people having to almost be protesting for a massive group of people. But then in this sense, these group of people are protesting for one 
yeah. one group of people and like you were saying earlier dom that it's so hard for you to want to fight for this when you don't feel like it's reciprocated and it shouldn't be a case of where we do one thing for reciprocation it should be a case where you do it for the wider message um but like obviously emotionally it's hard like both of you were saying so that's all i wanted to say what were you gonna say? Um, yeah, just kind of the, some of the interactions between um, Reclaim the Streets and some black activists. Um, so, you know, we talked about that video of not, not specifically not calling for Cressida Dick to resign because she's a girl boss. Um, some, some black women kind of um, commented on that on social media publicly um, and kind of saying that this isn't, this isn't right, we don't agree with this, why, why would she say this? And some white women from within the movement were kind of responding, saying, oh, why are you being mean to her? You're attacking her, you're oh being aggressive. She was nervous, she was on TV, she didn't mean to say that. Um, and kind of, you know, we know that when when they initially asked for the the permission of the of the high court to protest and it was declined and then they said they wouldn't they wouldn't go ahead and do it um and they would instead raise some money for quote unquote women's charities not specifying what those women charities were um a number of women kind of got in touch with them i i tweeted them and i said will you consider donating to sister space we were ignored we were blocked blocks uh-huh uh-huh so yeah, I think it's it's really obvious that they're, they're not they have absolutely no interest in including us in this. They're not, they're not. And like the donating to women's organizations, I've like I've worked in the women's equality movement for a while now, and there are some great women's organizations, but there are also women's organizations that are full of turfs that don't believe in supporting mm -hmm. trans women. There are women's organizations that are extremely racist that only believe in the protection of like white women so by you not these are women that don't have an understanding of the women's equality movement who who's going to inform you on the right organizations to invest in who's going to inform you on the organizations that are actually in cahoots with the police in cahoots with the state mm. you're giving them money and it actually serves the state more than it does to protect women so i don't know for me there's just like not an arrogance yeah maybe like an mm. arrogance of like we know what's best for women. I can't sit here myself and say, I know what's best for women. I don't represent every single woman mm. in the world and her entire experience. So for me, I just think it's really ignorant. It undermines movements towards gender equality for those women to co-opt space, one, but then refuse to work in coalition with other women from different areas of what it means to be a woman within the UK. So I just, yeah, I find the whole thing really disturbing. I don't really know. I mean, that meeting that they had, it's not going to be about anything about defunding. Mm. <laughs> They're just going to be like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I wonder if they asked them about the undercover policing clubs and they probably said, yeah, sounds like a great idea. Like, yeah. let's <laughs> do that. Oh my gosh, you know what would like solve the problem of the police? And police murders. More. <laughs> more police. More police. <laughs> like, that's just always the Actually, though, I don't know, I'm trying to spin this into like posy vibes, as Abba always says, like one thing that has, I think, come out of this is like, people are taking this whole thing about policing, and like the negatives of policing and like the over, like the, was it overuse of force? Mm -hmm. That's not a word, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, or yeah, like use of force in general, because yeah. I don't agree with any use of force in you know in any in any way. Mm. That um, like that's being taken more seriously now, and like we could see that with the like what was it like five days of protest in Parliament Square that Sisters Uncut spearheaded with you know or, or the various other organisations in the UK that um, you know advocate for for women, for Black lives, for for minoritised women, uh, for not for minoritised communities and I mean that in itself I feel like is something worth like if if that's the only good thing that's come out of this whole thing then like there's still some good um whether that actually goes ahead as in like whether the bill passes or not like I was shocked that it passed um but now it's you? been well yeah I was because okay. I was like everyone like ev people were in parliament like Preeti did her speech then that other guy, I can't remember what his name was, was like, no, like, why are you lying? Like, came with all the facts. And then 
they had all of that information and they still decided that adding well, I think conservatives have the majority <laughs> yeah like, also we have a very we have a very centrist labor party which is barely an opposition at the moment mm-hmm. um but for me, what that shows, and I guess that like the posy vibes I drag out of it, it's really easy to become kind of pessimistic and will the world always be like this? And is this what we're stuck in? But for me, it's it just shows that there's no way forward in the system that yeah. we are in. Yeah. Um, and that's that can be depressing and that can feel hopeless. But you know, the kind of the the hope for me is like the possibility of revolution and maybe that one day this won't be the way. And I mean, Mm -hmm. when we think of how long slavery went on for and we think of how Mm -hmm. radical abolition Mm -hmm. would have seemed at that time and and it still happened, um, I think even though it can seem really impossible, Mm -hmm. to to me it's like that it's the hope I hold on to that there's a way out of this system. Definitely. And that's why I really like, I hope more people come out to safeguard their right to protest because Mm -hmm. literally the only thing we have now is the ability of the masses to hold the state accountable there's literally no other thing that's going to prevent them from action that's oppressive um and a lot of people i I just the government is abusing the the circumstances of covid to suppress our rights and i don't Mm. think people realize that like a lot of people are like oh it makes sense you shouldn't be able to protest because of the pandemic one for the uk to to suspend the right to protest they're supposed to alert the UN and they're supposed to alert the Council of Europe they haven't done that because in that alert you're supposed to say how long you're suspending the right for this government doesn't want accountability Mm. it doesn't want to say we're suspending the right for the six months left of the pandemic they want to suspend it indefinitely because all that is left is for us to be able to hold them accountable Mm. we're watching them take every other avenue that allows more participation in public policy that allows more participation in in generating like legislation they literally want the only thing left to be for you to have your right to vote and that doesn't work if we have centrist parties because Mm. we don't now have opposition parties that don't agree on things like these massive issues they've decided that the state is the most important thing state power is the most important thing and that's going to unify all parties so it is everybody's responsibility to defend your own right to protest they're not going to do it for you it's a bit naive to 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 not understand what Habib is saying to think that we're not living at like an intersection of history like and it is our opportunity now to change the narrative and this country's quite lazy in relying on the government to do everything on on that on our behalf mm-hmm. we don't have that sort of government anymore and I don't think we've had that sort of government for a while mm-hmm. do you think that you could give us some advice Habiba about mm-hmm. if people are looking to protest what they need to know maybe what they need to wear just to wrap up with something that's actually like helpful <laughs> yeah so Definitely. I would say um like Delilah said, I think it's really important to emphasize here is you have a legal right to protest. And to me, protest is a, is a good thing and it's a force for good. And I wouldn't discourage um, going from protest because you feel like nothing's going to come of it and there's going to be no direct change out of that one protest. I think that's definitely a, a sentiment that I get from some people of, of kind of an excuse as to why they don't protest. I'm a big believer in protests. I think they get things done. So yeah, we can kind of go over about just a few few things about knowing your rights. So you mentioned like what to wear. I think what's been really convenient for me at this moment has been COVID because it means that we actually have to wear masks outside, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what better to protect you from um, the facial recognition? So I can talk about what I personally do. So I like to go in a kind of unidentifiable outfit. Um, so no kind of loud bold colorful graphic things that someone would easily kind of pick you out of a crowd wearing um you can also pack a change of clothes so if you're trying to um kind of avoid um the police or avoid arrest you can actually change your clothes like while you're kind of trying to get away pack some water pack a snack don't bring your id try not to bring anything on you that someone could use to identify you um and try and turn the location services off of your phone i'd also say be careful about what you post on social media um we're seeing even now people um people are still doing time for facebook posts that they made in 2011 about the london riots um so be really conscious of what you post on social media if you're trying to avoid arrest um in the case of arrest so we say we have five things so the first thing no comment 
So um, if police ask you anything, even if it's small talk, they are trained to get things out of you via small talk, just say no comment. Um, this includes police liaison officers. So they wear kind of blue high-vis jackets and they're actually, again, trained to go up to you, make friends with you. How are you? Are you okay? Do you need anything? Can you guys tell us how long you're going to be here for? No comment, no comment, no comment, no comment, like regardless of how, how innocent it sounds. No personal details, number two. So you're not actually required to give the police your personal details, especially under any stop and search power. So if they ask for your name, address, whatever, don't give it to them. They do not need it. They do not have a right to get it unless they kind of take you back to a police station and they're processing an arrest. But that brings us on to number three. You will be allowed a solicitor, but no duty solicitors. So the solicitors that they would assign you um, at the police station, they're no good. Um, so there, there are specific kind of protest specific solicitors that you can request. Um, you can find some of those online. Um, lots of legal observer organizations have, um, have kind of numbers or links to those solicitors. And I would also say some um, legal observer organizations have like a helpline number that you can call in, um, in, in the event of an arrest, if you witness an arrest, um, write that on your arm before you go to the protest. Um, so if you don't have your phone, you're legally allowed to inform one person of your arrest. So make it that helpline um, and they can sort things out for you. Number four, no caution. So if they kind of want to arrest you and they will offer you a caution, don't take it because a caution inherently admits kind of the, the, the crime. So they, they may frame it as kind of letting you off like a nice get out, but don't take a caution unless it's with solicitor's advice. And then number five is under what power? So um, if, if an officer tries to arrest you, tries to charge you, say under what power? So you need to get the specific kind of evidence on why they're arresting you. What is the law? What are you arresting me under? And they need to know this. And so it needs to be a legal arrest. They can't just arrest you because they think that you might be breaching something. It has to be a specific power that they can give you. So yeah, I'd also say if you are stop and searched, ask for um, a receipt of your stop and search. Um, they can give you that so um, just kind of remember those five things that kind of stay safe and to stop the police acting unlawfully also if you are at a protest and you see kind of legal observers around they're always there to help mm. um, so if you're kind of worried you can call them to witness um, something that you think is a, you know an, an unlawful arrest thank you thank you like that's very very helpful. so important we'll definitely include all of those points in the resource roadmap after the episode as well mm. i think yeah. a lot of people go to protests and they're kind of under the guise of i'm just going to be in the streets and everything mm. will be fine yeah well why would like... they arrest me right i'm mm. protesting why would i be arrested um but that's something that we've seen so mm. yeah definitely so... and also peacefully protesting because i'm sure if even in your circumstances most protests i think now the police have managed to get people into this thinking that protests are inherently violent mm -hmm. when actually it's their presence that increases mm -hmm. violence yeah. the majority of protests and there's actually data are on extremely that extremely peaceful yeah and yeah so it's not as if people are going out there to cause havoc mm -hmm. <laughs> like they're called they're there to peacefully exercise their right to peaceful yeah. assembly and protest so and like you said there's this kind of weaponization of the of the covid regulations at the moment um so yeah they can they can ask you to disperse they can ask you to go home and i think the maximum penalty at the moment is a fine for that um if you don't if you don't go home so you know again have a conversation with yourself am i willing to pay the fine mm -hmm. or if I don't have the money, if I don't want to be arrested, shall I just go? If they ask me to go, shall I just go home? And that's absolutely fine as well if you want to do that. Do we want to raise some of the cases that we spoke about, about other women but have been victims of police and state violence whose cases haven't mm. um, had as much coverage? Like actually say her name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there's like um, Bieber, and Nicole, Bieber Henry, Nicole Smallman, who died last year, and the police officers actually took um, pictures of their bodies and circulated them around the police force. Um, and they were two black and mixed race women. Um, and they still haven't been held accountable for that. At the 194 and counting, a record of women murdered by the police and the prison system in England and Wales. 
um it's really harrowing just seeing the like sheer volume and also knowing that there are people that are aren't on this list that people you know Mm -hmm. women that aren't on this list um but I think the ones that we're specifically looking at were um sorry Bieber Henry and Nicole Smallman blessing Olu Sagan and a section on death of trans women in in men's prisons um Mm. so yeah the list is pretty exhaustive and it's just a lot oh the name of this episode is 194 and counting and that's the number of women uh, including um black women minoritized women and trans women that have unfortunately been murdered by the police or by the prison system so i think we just want to take some time to to honor these women and also to end state violence against women to call for defunding the police to call for the dismantling of that institution defund as a means to abolish (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) she said it just playing music yes i am (laughs) (laughs) so um yeah i think we just wanted to take some time and really unpack this in you know the context of what's happened over the course of the past two weeks but really to have a conversation about where where we go next so our closing quote for this week is by Jason Okudei and he says every vigil is a protest and every protest is a vigil we must acknowledge Sarah Everard's murder within the epidemic of state-sanctioned and protected violence against women. Sarah was failed by an institution which consistently proves it does not exist to serve women, but rather disproportionately abuses, denies safety to, and consistently fails all women. Cis women, racially minoritized women, gender non-conforming women, working class women, immigrant women, and trans women alike. We cannot challenge gender-based violence and state-sanctioned violence without acknowledging the intersection between the two and the reliance of each of these behaviours on each other. An institution cannot claim to exist for the protection of women whilst perpetrating or protecting the behaviours which disproportionately endanger us. This includes fueling rape culture, misogyny and misogynoir, soaking up funds which prevent access to domestic abuse and survivor services, utilising prevention tactics that are structured on gendered violence such as stop and search, and consistently protecting its officers in sexual assault cases. As women rally to challenge this violence through peaceful protest and attempts at collective mourning, it is the job of allies to help us protect our right to challenge the state, regardless of of a pandemic or not. What's the point of surviving a pandemic simply to die at the hands of the state? No one is free until we are all free. So uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Obviously, it was quite um, a difficult conversation and topics that we were talking about can be quite triggering. So um, please look out for our resource roadmap of which we will link um, all the documents that we were referring to. Um, Also wanted to give a massive shout out to Habiba for coming on this episode. Thank you so much for um, enlightening us with all the information that you have. And we will catch you on our next episode. We publish every second Thursday, um, which is also followed by our resource roadmap. Our Instagram is at diaspora. Oh Jesus, I don't know what I'm thinking of. Jesus. By now, guys, you should know what our Instagram and our Twitter handle is because we say it every single two weeks. So yeah, please, yeah. So bye. <laughs> she said you already know what it is. <laughs> that was the best outro ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>